Welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, where Mackenzie is trying not to laugh because her mouth is full of cheese. She's got a whole mouthful, does she? She's like a mouse. There's no food there. Or a hamster. Well, you stuck into the side. You did tell her to finish it quickly. I know I did. You look like you might have something to say. She does. She does have something to say. Out of your mouth, maybe. So, anyway. If she chokes on this, I'm really going to laugh. That's really cheesy. I'm going to end up with, with cheese whiz all over the tabletop in a minute here. Or, or would it be squeaky cheese? <laughs> no, she, she usually snorts. It'd be more snorty cheese, Oh, I snorty guess. cheese. So would that be coming out of the nose or out of the mouth? Hey, did you hear that cheese? Oh. Apparently the nose. It goes up the nose. You guys realize you're, in, you're inducing death by cheddar, right? Ooh. So would that be a sharp death or a medium death? <laughs> Well, it's definitely not mild. This is, this is escalated a little, and she's gone. Great. Alrighty, <laughs> folks. Great. So I've never heard Mackenzie anyone, just slipped into the time I've stream. Never, Continue. Never heard anyone using cheese as a deadly weapon, Dan. Congratulations. <laughs> Woo! I, I feel like someone should go check on her, make sure that she's not. You want to know what? I think I need to add that in a book. <laughs> <laughs> this is how Mackenzie dies. Yes! After a great battle, she tries oh. to eat cheese and chokes, and no one's oh. there to give her the Heimlich. Okay, book three. That, that's content. <laughs> All right, so, folks, we have uh, author John Olson here to talk about uh, not only his previous book, so uh, Crystal King, which is currently out, but Crystal Queen is coming out here shortly, uh, which will be awesome. Yeah, the due date is September 4th. We're hoping to have copies at Fanex uh, next month. Nice. All right. Uh, So this continues on the story from... Crystal King, correct? Yeah. Um, actually, I have a uh, early preview of the back cover copy right. for you to tell cool. you a little bit about it. So, Princess Lilia Talandor of the Graven Kingdom finds herself promised to marry a foreign king to secure her father's release. She will do her duty, but even the plans forced upon her suffer as slavers take advantage of chaos in the kingdom during the king's absence. Not dead. No, nope. <laughs> you survived. Meanwhile, uh, King Gavin Stoutheart wants desperately to meet and impress Princess Lilia, uh, even if she is the daughter of his enemy. He hopes to bring peace to all of the Crystal Kingdoms, but traitors, spies, and uncertain advisors challenge his plans as he seeks to discover why the princess has been delayed. Crystal magic and animal avatars join the intrigue as challenges come from all quarters. War looms on the horizon, and one thread runs through it all. Gavin needs allies, and Lilia could be the key to saving or destroying both their kingdoms. Ooh. So, a little Romeo Juliet type storyline. Nobody sounds will die like, in cheese, but... that's for sure. <laughs> well, you didn't. So, you survived. Almost. It's not your kryptonite. Don't. Yay! It was um, definitely a suspenseful moment. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's still stuck in there. <laughs> oh, oh. Ew. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, but, I'm so, getting arrested for, like, physical violence. Yes, anyways. <laughs> so how was it kind of moving to the second book? Because I've always, I, my experience and other authors I've talked to, the second book seems to be really hard because you're moving on from the story plot lines and that you put in the, the first one, but you're, I mean, I'm assuming this is a trilogy, right? Yeah. And you're not wanting to give away too much for the third book. So was it difficult or was it easy? It depends on which part, because I had planned out the entire uh, 
story arc to go across the entire trilogy. Okay. And so I knew that this second book would be about getting the princess and the new king together by the end of the book. And so there were lots of different things that I had tried out. Um, there was one version of the story that went to the editor, and she read it. And if I had been there, I would have been hurt badly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no, it, it probably would have been worse it than a mouthful of cheese. Yeah. Man moment. And so there were a lot of things there that I ended up uh, changing and adjusting in the story to make it flow better. But I still had this particular slot within the story that I knew I had to fill. And so that worked out really well for me. Uh, the challenge that I faced was getting it to be exactly the size that I wanted so that it would fit both uh, the audience and the previous book. And so there are a lot of interesting challenges in there, and they aren't all related to exactly making the story work. So some of the things that we all learn as we're going through the process of uh, doing new things. So now was it the characters that didn't work, or was it actually elements of the story that just weren't meshing right? There was someone that I had thought it would be really clever for me to kill off, and I was Ooh, trying. Take notes, Dan. I was trying to be too clever. <laughs> I don't need to take notes on that. I know exactly the right moment to do it. Oh no, it. no. Dan was actually sharing some of this like me once. He had planned to kill a certain character, and then he just couldn't kill them. Like, oh yeah. Every time yeah. he would try to set it up, it just the story wouldn't allow yeah. it. Is that how this one died? No, he died. No, I'm saying, is that why this one died? No, it it was planned. Oh. It, it just worked out. Did I kill him? No. No. He got killed by a really old evil woman. So do you have trouble killing off these characters then? Or is it okay, like... Then. Like, is it like... I have problems with old women in general. Yeah, Killing off fun. characters is kind of one of those tools in the basket of things you can do. Yeah. Um, but it has to be something that is a meaningful death. Uh, take, for instance, I, I got red-shirted in a zombie book. Uh, so a, a friend of mine uh, wrote a uh, book, a zombie thriller kind of thing. And so he stuck my name on one of the guys who goes out in a blaze of glory with uh, lots of military-grade explosives and a horde of zombies. Nice. And so you have to have that meaningful, significant death instead of just uh, going along, going along, going along. Oh, they died. You know, oh, there's no foreshadowing, no nothing. And so you have to be really careful to make it something that readers are going to care about. Yeah. I have to ask, are you still friends with this person? Oh, yes. She's not only my editor, but also a friend that we hang out with just about weekly. So, yeah, it's her goal to make me cry. I'm curious because... <laughs> a lot of people actually love being written in. Uh, well, no, it's, it's not the writing yeah. in. It's the killing part that I have Doesn't matter. About. I mean, it's, <laughs> well, we it's, talked it's, about this with Brad, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's just a lot of people are excited just I to be in something. I was hiding in the closet there. during that. Yeah. Remember so then she, then she sprung out in right. a blaze of finger glory? That does not sound right. <laughs> yeah, in the zombie book, I knew that this was a, a red shirt call. Yeah. It wasn't just show up in the book. It was, yeah, you will die in a messy way. Yeah, well, I mean, in a zombie book, you would assume that that's going to happen. <laughs> If you ever have a zombie book, I want to die. You didn't. You survived no. the zombies. Oh, you have zombies? There's zombies. That's where he dies. I died. <laughs> you gotta die After with I zombies. killed a bunch of zombies. Yeah. Well, you had fun with a giant gun that just... No, we'll talk. Was that really old woman a zombie? <laughs> no. Okay. No. That makes it better. Was yeah. she Scott? I, I'm giving away too much. We'll just talk later. Okay. I'll have to Spoilers. read it later. We'll move back to John's Well, right now book. we're talking about the king. It's that, true. The queen. The, no, the crystal king and crystal king. Yeah. 
Yeah, even the uh, back cover copy has gone through some different revisions where my first one, I tried to go into too much detail. and You really just need to give, here is the feel of the book. This is a story that you might be interested in finding out what happens. And so even the uh, back cover copy is more of an advertising mechanism than a synopsis, for instance. And so it has to be something that... uh, Selling the sizzle, I believe, is one of the expressions. And so you have to develop that interest just so that somebody picks it up, think, oh, that's a cool cover. They flip to the back, and they read the back cover, and then they open it up. Each of those is a step that you need to get past to get people to uh, be interested in a book. Yeah. Wait, I have a relevant, stupid question. What's the difference between the synopsis and the back cover? Um, So really... A synopsis covers synopsis kind of covers the whole story, right? The back cover is to get you interested in buying it. It's more like a teaser. Yeah. So, so it's written in a way to get you int- to hook you to buy the book. So kind of going back to the digital age, how do they do that in the digital age? Well, on mine, what I ended up doing is in my back cover copy, I hint that there is this relationship. A synopsis would tell how that's resolved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I don't want to do that because people will then think, oh, I know the story. I don't need to buy the book. Oh, and as far as the digital stuff, most often the back cover copy is what you were reading on Amazon. They may tweak it a little bit, but mainly it's that. Okay. Yeah. Like if you're looking at Amazon or wherever else they sell them, I can't remember at the moment. See, because I remember going into Barnes & Noble. I remember Oh, seeing, Barnes & Noble's website, yeah. Because I remember that's actually how I got into the Cinda William Shima's books. Mm-hmm. I saw the character, or not the character, the cover for mm-hmm. The Warrior Heir, yeah. picked it up, and then I read the back book, and I'm like, you're coming home. Yeah, that's really <laughs> it. The cover catches the eye at step one, back cover, step two, like you said, and then... I feel like I lost that Step now, three is at the register. Yeah. Pull out your card. Yeah, in I mean, a way. But then step four is in the first chapter, because once you start reading, you have to still have that hope to be able to say, yeah, I'm staying you, with this. You I'm, definitely have to keep five, that I'm committing to this. Step five is where you're willing to get sandwich crumbs in between the pages, because you can't Thumb put that. it down. Yeah. Or cereal, in my case. <laughs> Caffeine, because you're staying up all night, because you're not stopping. Wait. You need caffeine? The book's not good enough. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, that's, that's a good tagline. That is a really good tagline. challenge right there. Do not leave me hanging. Oh, you got to give me sorry. something. It's no, also kind of a high good. bar, so yeah. now. That's a good tagline. That's a good I, challenge. I've some of those books where it's like, well, I'm, I'm just, I can't yeah. even you know, sleep. Now that you say that, the turn. only book I can think of that did that to me was The Seventh Harry Potter, where I did not need any caffeine to get through it. Mm. And I read it in three days. And I, the only reason why it took me three days is because I had to do this thing I know called I'm adulting. Get, I know I'm going to get hate mail for this, but there's not enough caffeine in the world or sushi to get me through those books. Why sushi? <laughs> Watch your tongue, young man. Why sushi? Because sushi's delicious. Because sushi's delicious. It's amazing. So even if someone offered me a boatload of free sushi, I still wouldn't get through. Oh, you're talking the sushi as a bride. Okay, now I get it. Well, the interesting thing about that is... Any book, you're going to have people who are really fans of it and people who are not. They are. And it's just her writing style. It just never appealed to me, and I've just never enjoyed the character, which is fine. But it also came out when I was already an adult and already married and had kids. And And I was 11. You're right. So when it came out for you, that was the the target audience. I was already reading uh, adult-level books. So going back that way was... Out of high school, so... The seventh book for me was like kind of ending my childhood. Yeah, so I mean, for you, it was wrapping up the whole series. So that works. Although, fun fact, I have read the first three Mortal Instruments books by Cassandra Clare. 
Yeah, no, it took me like three years. We, and oh, then I read them in two weeks. We have all of them. My daughter I'm loves the, that it. whole series. I'm reading Lord of the Rings. I'm have fun with that one. And they're singing. <laughs> so much I, I, singing. I love Lord of the Rings, but it's, it's like a one-time read. This reminds me of a song with Bilbo wants song. Let's sing it now. <gasps> We're sneaking through an orc castle. I don't, Ooh, I don't care. Okay. We're I'm singing excited. five verses. I now have a new Dungeon Derby card idea. (laughs) Sing while you travel. No, (laughs) sing a song from Lord of the Rings, and then Scott always ends up drawing it for some reason. Uh, The the Tolkien Bard, is that what you're calling it? Like, oh, it's just so annoying. Because, like, they continuously sing. And, of course, since I listen to them on audiobooks, the author, or the reader, actually sings the song. But it's like they're singing the song, and they're walking along the path. And I cannot stand this anymore, and I want to post forward, but I can't because I don't know where the song is going to end, and I'm going to miss a vital piece of dialogue that's important <laughs> to the story, so I can't fast forward, so I'm just going to listen to it. <laughs> So tell us how you really feel about it. <laughs> so this is a great question. Is there any singing? No. <laughs> no, there it's is no question. singing in the book. Does someone's blood pressure need to be lowered? <laughs> Look at that. You can read this book, and the Maybe next one, there's new keep, songs. Yes. Maybe we need to keep Xanax on, like, somewhere for us. I think Scott has the same opinion on books that I do on movies. <laughs> They're better without the singing. Now, I'm not the linguist that J.R.R. Tolkien yeah. was. Well, let's be so. honest. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings for his languages. Yeah. What oh, that's exciting. Plot, uh, what plot things happen in two that's really going to make the reader go, what the heck just happened to me? Well, without spoilers. Without, without spoilers. spoilers. With book two... I like to explore some aspects of this uh, animal and crystal magic that I didn't get into in the first book in a significant way. Uh, That's one of the things that I really like about uh, some books is the author really understands, okay, what are the impacts of adding this particular kind of magic to a world? Mm -hmm. And so in my world, you can control animals by having a person wear one half of a crystal and an animal wear the other half. You can use that animal as an avatar, and it puts you effectively into a coma while you were controlling the animal, so you have this vulnerability. But what would happen if people started breaking the rules and controlling people instead of animals? And so that is explored by the second book, and it's kind of a a subject I have to treat delicately because it could go in a really dark place and I want this to be a YA friendly book and so I had to kind of skirt some issues that I could have gone into and didn't really want to address like the first second when you, as soon as you said that I thought politically speaking <laughs> you could control someone else like a puppet <laughs> oh like, yeah we don't talk politics on the show well so. not even that I mean uh, look a few years back there's the movie Gamer with Gerard Butler where they were kind of doing that people would get into so much debt or problem that they'd actually be in a real live video game situation where the gamers were actually controlling the real life people. Don't they have uh, and that it was, as a TV was, show right now? Yeah, they do. Okay, um, that's why it's sounding familiar. They were, you know, this guy was ex-military and they're running around with machine guns just like you would see in like Black Ops or Call of Duty, but it was real life that's people. Terrifying. Yeah, that how is that different from the Matrix, though? Sort of, yeah. No, how is it? Yes, so. What? Is it different than The Matrix? It is, because they're actually in... So The Matrix was a computer program. These are are real people in the real world being controlled by gamers at home. So I have a question for you with the animals. 
So are these like actual animals or not like people who turn into animals? Do you oh, it, they are very much animals. So they okay. have large animals that so they it's use. So not like for, an animagus thing from like right. Harry Potter as an example. Yeah, they use large animals for warfare. Uh, the sneakier ones use small animals for spying. And so they take over the animal nice. and then they can sneak into where this animal can reach and they can do interesting things with them. And so when they start using these for slavery, it is an issue where I want to treat it as a condemnation of uh, the concept and have the escape and all of that be kind of a justification for uh, opposing those sorts of things. Uh, so it lends the story a little bit more of a uh, mature uh, reader level than the first book did, but I did do a lot of work to try to keep it YA friendly. So can, I, I kind of want, I want to delve into that magic a little bit just to get an idea of the, how it works. So if is there like a sender crystal and a receiver crystal? Yeah, they are a pair that come together. Okay, so it's not like if they're just a pair of crystals like that are equal in power and whoever's rule is more dominant takes over. It's actually there's a specific sender and right. receiver. Okay. Um, just because that would... I could just imagine if someone had the crystal on and all of a sudden you're like, oh, a crystal, and then someone slipped it on you, all of a sudden they would just like take over your body. Like instantly, right? Do they know what's what's going on unless you can't say anything? Well, yeah, it's something where you can tell that you have been controlled. And you just lose physical control of your body and somebody else is driving you as a puppet. Oh, that sounds like me this morning. Wow. <laughs> so many possibilities. I know. Like, All of our texts drove her to roll out of bed and show up here, sit in a chair. So one of the important like we things so about any magic system, though, is you have to have limits on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've specifically put in some limits to where um, it takes a while for that link to form. It's not something that happens okay. instantly. Okay. And then being in a coma makes you vulnerable, and so it's the kind of thing where you have to be really careful when you want to take control of something that you are safe. So wait, is it kind of like the golden compass with the souls on the outside of the body with the animals? Or am I remembering that wrong? Hmm... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. But no, I mean, it does does bring up an intriguing (laughs) thing because, you know, you have to lock yourself away or hide your body because someone could easily kill you. Or have someone that you trust very much. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't souls. They were demons. Oh, yeah. No, because when you said that, that's what my brain went to because I remember they killed this kid's demon, which is basically they killed his soul. Ah. We never saw what happened to that because they never made more movies. And it didn't grab me enough to go read the books. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. The books are good. Now, even for book three, I try to take that same idea and say, okay, now what other weird things might they try to experiment with if the rules are set aside and they're just trying to do the right thing with what they have? And so I like stories about ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and this is a magic that doesn't depend on them being the chosen one. Yeah. Right. And I really appreciate that. Um, I do have a question on that. Now, what about uh, inanimate objects or, like, corpses? Like, could you have, like, someone take over, like, say, a skeleton? Like, is that... No, it has to be a living creature. Okay. Sorry. Is There's that part limitation. of the limitations of the magic then? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. No, I, I do like the fact that it can it literally can be anyone. I mean, you don't have to be Superman or some Harry Potter wizard, you know, or Gandalf. chosen one. You mm-hmm. know, you could you just slip it on and you can do something. I mean, I, you would have to probably have some practice. It's a talent that you can uh, learn. But it's definitely a talent you can learn or build upon. 
Um, yeah, you can start with mice, work your way up to a grizzly bear. Who knows? Um, which makes it fun mm-hmm. uh, and interesting, and it's something that everyone can kind of relate to. I mean, I do think that's something that we kind of lose sometimes is some of these heroes are, like, beyond what we normally would expect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what why everyone likes Luke Skywalker in the beginning because he was just kind of the whiny. farm boy and <laughs> he was kind of a little bit whiny, which we can all little relate bit. to, and then moved on. Well, Anakin was mm-hmm. a lot more, but... Uh, it was something we could relate to. Yeah, and then I get to have the joy of explaining flying over the countryside yeah. as a an eagle or something like that, oh, too. That sounds awesome. And so there's an awful lot of fun to explore in there as well. Yeah. That's fun as the author, too, because ah, that's so cool. Because what brings to my mind on that one is, like, soaring over California in Disneyland, where you're experiencing it, but... Mm-hmm on some level, like when they do like the oranges and stuff, but I've always wondered what it would be like to look down from above and not have a panic attack. I would love yeah. to be able to experience flying, so that's just mm-hmm. really ex- exciting to me. Yeah, I think one thing that kind of influenced me on writing uh, this trilogy is for my work, uh, we build simulators and we've been experimenting with virtual reality uh, for training. And so VR ties into all of this where that's what the experience is like, is in VR you can become pretty much anything and go anywhere and do anything. And so I tried to portray some of that within this magic. That's really nice. cool. That is awesome. All right, well, we're, we're out of time. time. Yeah. So for those of you out there, go check out The Crystal King. It's out right now. Uh, it's published by Immortal Works. You can catch, find it on their page or Amazon. Or where else? BarnesandNoble.com, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah, pretty much anywhere. Uh, and then expect Crystal Queen out in September. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure when it's going to come out for pre-order, but I would expect that within the next month at some point. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to be at Salt Lake Fan X, drop by, find John, and pick up a copy. And he'll, I'm sure he'll be more than happy to sign it and make it all pretty for you. Yes, I would be glad to deface your copy. Yes. <laughs> and remember, always remember... Leave, leave uh, reviews, because that's what helps sell books. So uh, with that said, we're out of here. Catch you later. Bye.